And when you engage with that consultant at the end of the day after we've presented you these results, you're not going to waste the consultant's time by asking for something that you can't afford. You'll be focused on a real, practical, doable system that is affordable by the standards that you bring to this project. This is episode 339 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. When local communities decide that it's time to investigate ways to improve local connectivity, they're at the beginning of a long and complicated process. If they're considering a community network, more possibilities are available today than ever before. In order to get a realistic idea of potential models, costs, and the competitive local market, a feasibility study is typically an early step in the process. In 2018, we began to work with NeoPartners LLC on the Community Network's Quick Start program. In this interview, Christopher talks with Glenn Fishbein and Nancy DiGidio, the brains behind the program. The CN Quick Start service allows local communities to approach the beginning of their journey with a head start. The service isn't a replacement for a feasibility study, but it is a complement. Glenn and Nancy are able to use their sophisticated program to determine what services are already available from incumbents, reveal where potential fiber resources are in the area, and provide cost estimates and relevant information for different publicly owned models. Coupled with the results from feasibility studies, communities are now able to make knowledgeable decisions about how to move forward. In this conversation, Nancy, Glenn, and Christopher discuss the benefits of the CN Quick Start program and what communities can expect from the service, along with the ways local leaders can apply their newfound knowledge to start their journey strong. Check out cnquickstart.com for more information. Now here's Christopher with Glenn Fishbein and Nancy DiGidio discussing Community Network's Quick Start. Welcome to another Community Broadband Bits podcast. Uh, this is Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today I'm speaking with Glenn Fishbein in studio. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And on the line we have his partner, Nancy DiGidio. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And they are with Breaking Point Solutions representing Neo Partners, which is actually working with us at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance on a little product we're calling the Community Network Quick Start. We're going to tell you a little bit about that. I think the best way to, to jump into it would just be to ask Nancy first, what are we doing here? What is the community network quick start? What problem are we trying to solve? We are trying to bring broadband to rural America and the underserved. The way in which we're trying to do this is by providing communities with a very inexpensive, iterative means of finding what is affordable for broadband for their community. We're aiming to work early in the process, right? I mean, this is, we call it the quick start, not the quick finish, right? So, so Glenn, you want to talk a little bit more about, um, about how exactly we're, we're doing this? Well, this is based on software development that started back in 2011 and has gone through many years of iteration through major telco providers such as Samsung, Sprint, uh, various wireless internet service providers, and so on. And the software has been iterated to the point where we can take a community of any size, any place in the continental United States, analyze the, the population, households, geography, terrain, ground clutter, and come up with a means of iterating any mixture of fixed wireless or broadband technologies or fiber technologies and end up with whatever type of model you think is appropriate for that community in the price range that will work for that community. 
the cost of doing this quick start program is at a fraction of what companies or cities would already pay right now. Many are paying 50,000 more for a study of this and it takes six months plus to do these studies to figure out what kind of network they can even put in place to support broadband. For example, in one of the studies we just recently computed, which took us uh, approximately two weeks to provide the study for that community, we were able to look at 44 different network designs and guide the community towards the one that would work best for them. A normal study would be a design and would take probably three to six months to accomplish. Right. So we're going to talk more about this over the course of uh, the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, But I wanted to step back in time briefly and and talk about where you're coming from. And so maybe Nancy would be a good place to start. What were you doing before we launched the Community Network Quick Start? We were fumbling around trying to figure out how to bring... uh, broadband to rural America and how to help the underserved, Um, working with companies to try to bring that to them. Um, Struggling a lot with the designs and getting that infrastructure in place. Yeah, we we came out of a of a very large infrastructure build out project for Sprint, and which was uh, 18,000 cell towers throughout the northern part of the United States. And I thank you for every one of them as a, <laughs> as a person who uses a Sprint reseller that I love. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm a Verizon guy myself. <laughs> anyway, as part of that, we saw a tremendous amount of inefficiencies in the Sprint and the Samsung development team process. We would see engineers, hundreds of engineers doing RF studies that would take them perhaps three to four days to complete for a tower. And we realized that if they'd automate this and get out of the spreadsheet mode, they could do much better. And that was the, one of the major incentives for the system that we started developing. The interesting thing is that I think a lot of people do use those spreadsheets. And the spreadsheets are very inefficient no matter what way you look at it. These projects are very complicated. And they have a lot of different angles to them. And to use a spreadsheet for such a complicated uh, project is 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 just insane. I've certainly seen how you use spreadsheets to keep track of individual fibers in a much larger build. I, I can't even imagine the challenge of using spreadsheets to to do all the different possible variations and how you might build a network. And that's one of the things that, that Glenn mentioned was the, the many variations that can be done. Um, but I wanted to, to jump in for a second and talk about, just briefly about what we at ILSR, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, bring to this because um, you've talked about the, the software solution that that uh, Neo Partners um, brings in in terms of the, the network design. The other piece of it that, that when you approached me that I thought would be useful was a little bit of, of guidance in terms of what other rural communities have seen or even urban cities where, where we've learned lessons along the way um, in terms of if you pick a favorite design that you like, how are you going to make sure that, that you can communicate to the public the vision? How are you going to make sure that you're avoiding um, problems that others have had in terms of, of getting support? 
And then once you're actually building, having anticipated common problems, even even things like are there nearby um, internet service providers that might want to work with you as a partner that, um, you know, if you just looked at a list of ISPs, you might not know which ones are, are good potential partners and which ones are not likely to return your phone calls. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we envision for the community network quick start that goes um, with all this software is, is a little bit of handholding. And I wouldn't say a lot. You know, we're not consultants that are going to spend months and months with you. We're going to help you get out to a quick start. <laughs> so I think a lot of people saw that coming. Yeah, one of the first things we do, even before we're engaging um, in a contract discussion with, with the prospective client, is we bring up a competitive analysis to show who is presently there in the community. And the first question I always ask is, okay, you got Comcast on this part of the community. you got AT&T in that part of the community. You've got Frontier over there. Do you intend to compete with these companies if you move forward? And if not, do you want these areas included? And if you do, do you know what it's like to compete with a big company? Because the very first thing you need to know as a community is what services you have. And if you're going to build a network of any kind, you need to know that you're not going to get everybody because nobody switches from Comcast simply because they can or well, I guess a different way of saying that would be 10 to 20% will reliably switch away from Comcast the second they have another option. <laughs> but you're probably not going to build a network on that 20% or 15%. You're going to need a, a lot more folks. Right. And then, you know, knowing who the competition is, knowing what their capabilities are is the first step in considering whether or not it's worth moving forward to do a real network. The next thing that we do is we try to find out, okay, if you build a network, do you have a backbone that you can connect into? Is there anybody who provides dark fiber services out there or that you can purchase? So we maintain a library of who is available throughout the United States. And if we can find an appropriate backbone provider, then we can go forward with the network design. I think the cool thing too is, is identifying the providers in the area. It's not just the big players, it's the small players too. Because some of these rural areas, um, the bigger players don't want to be there. Um, so that this allows some of the smaller uh, providers to step forward and possibly uh, expand their footprint as well in the community. Right, and I think that's one of the things that I would expect to see um, in our in our beta clients. We certainly saw that, and and I think it, with folks that that you worked with before we started working together on this particular product, I think you saw that also. People, um, you know, that are coming forward and want to find a solution for their communities don't necessarily want to create a brand new service company. They may be interested in building infrastructure that would allow an existing uh, independent internet service provider to. Um, come along and offer services. Well, that's one of the things that your organization provides, which is not necessarily something we provide, is the many options you have for integrating your network intentions with your local providers, with your local units of government, to figure out how to get the alliances within your community to work together to make this something real. And understanding that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, the study can happen rather quickly, uh, this, that's why, again, get back to the quick start. <laughs> um, we can do this uh, quick start rather quickly so you can get to those discussions to figure out who you need to align in your community to get things moving. 
This is where I think it might be useful to note that we don't see ourselves as replacing the consultants that that Glenn talked about a little bit at the beginning that are going to be charging higher fees and be uh, working with a community over a longer period of time. Because although one of the things that they provide is the cost of building a network, the thing that I think consultants really are essential for is walking the community through a process and doing some handholding in terms of, okay, you know, you're going to need these meetings to engage the public. You're going to want to have talk about these sorts of things. Um, the consultant's going to help you, um, you know, know what questions are commonly going to be asked. They may be doing a survey of the community that will give you some information about how it's leaning regarding its feelings about existing providers and in the city getting involved or the, the county or the township or, you know, whatever. I'm choosing city as a as a little bit of a shorthand there. Um, and they're going to do a lot of other things in terms of uh, maybe going out and talking to some of those ISPs that you may want to partner with. And so, you know, I don't think a community that works with us will forego um, a, a more traditional consultant. I think they're going to go to that consultant better prepared and they are going to be able to um, get more out of that consulting contract. I definitely agree with that. One of the things that, that we do when we iterate, I'll typically try about 10 iterations for a particular community. And we're going to start with a very inexpensive model. And we're going to run that all the way up to everybody is connected by the best possible technology. Now, let's just talk about that for a second, because what you're talking about is, is that you can show a scenario in which everyone's getting fiber in the target area and a scenario, that's what you're talking about in terms of the more expensive one, in an area in which everyone's getting a fixed wireless product. That's correct. We can iterate any number of variations on that. And the idea is is to find a point whereby the network implementation is going to be cost-effective and most cost-effective for the homes or the community that's using the services. In most cases, there comes a point where, boy, you just can't afford it. But the way we started off is here's something that's affordable all the way up to the one that you can't afford. And now you, the community, have a range of choices there. And when you engage with that consultant at the end of the day after we've presented you these results, you're not going to waste the consultant's time by asking for something that you can't afford. You'll be focused on a real, practical, doable system that is affordable by the standards that you bring to this project. One of the things that as we're going to talk a little bit more about how we go about doing that, I did want to note for people who are really curious about the cost of it. Can you describe the, the cost structure, Nancy? We're looking at $1,000 plus 40 cents per household, which still is way under pricing that you will find out there from companies that are spending six months plus putting people on the ground to actually figure out how to do these studies. Now, when we talk per household, we're using 2016 census estimate household data. The 2018 data will be coming out shortly as soon as the government reopens, and we'll switch to the 2018 data. So as you can tell, <laughs> Glenn is, is pretty, he's a little bit specific, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of a, a technical kind of guy. Glenn, one of the things that I was curious about and nervous about when, I, when you first did your demo is a sense of, you know, it's really nice to look at this in software, but have we had any kind of a reality check in terms of how close um, our numbers are in terms of this automated system versus, um, you know, uh, uh, some of the consultants actually going out there and walking the roads to see what the costs are? Well, generally, um, a consultant doesn't want another consultant to look at their final studies. So we've only had a very few sent to our, our path. 
Um, and what we're basically seeing in the studies that we can directly compare within 2 to 4% of what the consultant final price project model would be. Now, statistically, we believe that we're going to be within about 10 to 15%, but we think that essentially our methodology is a pretty uniform methodology throughout the industry. So seeing a 2% variation from what a consultant produces is not bad. But I would make the point that they're probably within 10 to 15% error as well. I would strongly encourage anyone that was planning on definitely building a network to use this service to get started, but to do much more fine-grained engineering to make sure that they're, the bids that they're going to get for actual construction will be more precise. Um, there's um, no doubt in my mind that um, it's always going to be worth it to get a more precise engineering layout at the end. We are aiming to provide a ballpark figure, and at, at the cost that we're charging, I think it really doesn't impair um, uh, the ability of a community or an ISP to do both. To that fact, like you said, that ballpark figure, but that base structure, it's like the layout of your home, you know, you, you get that base structure and then you bring the engineers in to add all those fine-tuned touches, um, which may adjust the cost to some degree, but generally you will know going forward what those big costs are going to be. And one of the things that we generally do before we get to a final agreement with the, with the customer is we give them a demo of what we're doing and how we're doing it. It's an interactive screen-sharing demo. We take a community, maybe even their community, and we show them the detail, the granularity that we can get to from an automation point of view. The accuracy on a lot of our geographic information is with a few meters of actual. Our elevation data is within a meter of actual. Our ground clutter data is within about three meters of actual. And although you may not know what those terms mean, these are the things that determine whether it's feasible to put in, say, a fixed wireless solution that's inexpensive or if your only alternative is fiber. This type of demo is available, generally takes about 30 minutes. And if you're curious, you want to kick the tires, give us a call, we'll give you a demo. Nancy, can you tell us a little bit more about what a what a community walks away with? Like, like we can give them a presentation and, and describe these things to them, you know, as we're we're talking. But um, what sort of information do they have then to present to the community um, and to use moving forward? They will have a map. Uh, they will have uh, actual numbers uh, layout. Uh, they will be able to actually go in and drill right into the map by address to see what that particular address would be covered by, uh, whether it be cyber, uh, satellite, or what, what have you. Um, it's way more information than they would ever receive uh, from any other study that I, we've seen. And when you say a map, anyone can go to a website and enter in, the, enter in their address to see the network layout that the cities have, have gotten to have a sense of what's available to them in that scenario. So Correct. when you said a map, I want to say, be clear, it's an interactive online map. Exactly. So if they, if they choose, they can allow that map to be visible to, to the citizens where they can go in and actually view what kind of service would be available to them. The engineering details are probably more than most people would want to have. But for example, if there's a fixed wireless component, what we do is we calculate for each sector of the fixed wireless element how many households are in that direction, which helps us do the load balancing calculations. If it's a pure fiber network, of course, you won't want any fixed wireless. But if you do have some, this is engineering details specific to the actual tower installation. 
most communities won't want to go there, but if they do, it's there. Right, and so I think one of the things that, that we found interesting and that, that you've added, Glenn, is, um, and I think you do it through your iterations, but there's a sense of um, if a community was to say, um, you know, we know that we can find $6 million to connect um, people in this territory. You know, we can give, um, using the software, a sense of, okay, well, the, the way to stretch that the furthest is to do a certain percentage in fiber and the rest in wireless. And if you can get the towers in these locations and, and that you identify existing towers as well. Um, but that's the sort of the information that we can provide. And so it's a little bit different from the conception of saying, how do we get um, everyone connected with broadband? We can actually take a given dollar figure and try to figure out how to maximize the fiber versus the, the wireless investment. Yeah, the granularity also, you know, if, if Joe Blow down the street, he's got his Comcast cable and that whole block is fully covered with Comcast. If you want to exclude that block from the study, you just tell us we don't want to go there. And we'll get your granularity down to about, oh, I think it's 0.08 mile accuracy for knocking blocks out of the study. There's a lot of data that, that is received from the study. Um, a large portion of it, you know, citizens probably wouldn't be concerned with. But engineers, you know, the people running the broadband committee, those are the people that will delve into different parts of the data depending on their role in the project. There's a, even a, a, a set of spreadsheets that's designed specifically for the bean counters within the community, which shows um, if you're working with an ISP, the type of return on investment the ISP would expect. It shows us how we come up with the different cost models and recommendations and what constitutes an affordable versus a not affordable network. And that's something that you can take to the city council or to your finance committee or whatever and use this as part of the justification in moving forward. Well, and the nice thing about the studies is we don't make up the numbers. You guys, <laughs> the communities actually feed us information to put into the software. We're getting that information actually from the community before we do a study and then putting those numbers into the software. That, that to me is powerful. You, you know, you're making the decisions as a community as to where you want to go with the study. One of the things that, that I wanted to jump in is something Glenn said something earlier. I cringe at it every time that, that he says it, he knows it. Um, and that's the the finality with which sort of says, you know, we can't do fiber everywhere. And I know that, that Glenn actually agrees with what I'm about to say based on past conversations, but it's more a sense of, um, you know, in, in, the, in the immediate future, it is, it is not likely that you'll be able to justify spending the kind of money that would be necessary to get fiber out to everywhere. And so over the next five years, the question is, how much would it cost to get fiber out to the places where it's, used, where, where it's possible to pay for itself reasonably, get wireless out to the rest of the folks, and then reevaluate in five years and figure out how to expand around the time that the fixed wireless might be coming due for a replacement. And so... You know, one of the things that I'm that I'll, I'll say candidly, I'll, I'll I'll give away a secret in the community network quick start, you know, package that will give you of information that that provides some guidance, is this sense of you're not you're not making a decision here that's final. This is the first step in a, in a multi-part process. And one of the things that's really useful about getting the wireless out there is it starts a revenue stream that can be reinvested in future years to connect more people. 
if you're in an area that has you know limited economic opportunity today, doesn't have um, millions of dollars lying around, um, you can still do something and then be able to expand that over time. And perhaps there's government grants that come available. There's uh, foundations that want to support it or whatever. You have you have planning documents. You have all kinds of um, information that you would need then to expand the network over time. Yeah, one one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that uh, the wireless technology does not stand still. If we were, say, recommending wireless technology five years ago, I would be ashamed of the technology that was on the market then. What is available now is is decent. It gives you a good quality broadband, well above the FCC minimum daily requirements, as they, I guess I call them. And it's not atypical to get a download speed upwards of 80 megabits per second off of some of the newer wireless technologies. Those will continue to improve. Now, they're not going to go through trees. They won't go through buildings. They won't go through mountains. They won't go over mountains in most cases. But for those sparse areas where it's too expensive to put in fiber, they're adequate now. So using a mix, a hybrid of both fixed wireless and fiber is a viable solution to many rural communities. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, you can't go through certain things now, but uh, putting in the most cost-effective solution in those areas is, is what we're going for. We're, we're not going to do any miracles. We're just looking for the best possible uh, solution for your community. Glenn, as you've been working on this, is there any kind of baseline numbers of of what a community might expect to spend in, in building a network that you would be modeling for them? Well, I can I can give you a range of numbers based on the studies we've done. Assuming there this is a brand new build up, there's no pre existing infrastructure. The the way we think about it is the cost per household. How much does it cost to bring one house into the broadband network? And generally. There's two ways of thinking of it. If this for, for example, a tax levy, how much would it cost that family per month to be part of a broadband network infrastructure? And what we're seeing is the numbers as low as $15 a month for some technologies, depending upon which ones you're using. And they can get well above $300 a month, which is another way of saying it's time for a tax revolt. But another way of thinking of this is in terms of just the total dollar cost per household. If you're looking for a grant or if you're looking for... Um, a community financing project, municipal financing, or self-financing. On a cost-per-household basis, the ranges we're seeing are somewhere the low end around $800 per household, which would be largely a fixed wireless implementation, and they go as high as $9,000, $10,000 a household for a full fiber-to-the-home solution. The key thing is realizing it's an order of magnitude range in cost. You need to see the alternatives and know which one you can zero in on. So if people want more information, one of the, the best places to go is the website we have set up, which is CN Quickstart, as in Community Network Quickstart.com. Um, and there's more information there about how to reach out and contact us, but happy to do a demo, happy to um, you know give you a sense of if you want to describe your situation, if it seems like something we can be uh, assisting in. And uh, yeah, please feel free to reach out. Um, is there anything left that you want to share, Nancy, before we hang up the microphones? Yeah, I, I'd like to say that the studies that we've done so far, um, people are amazed at the data that they're receiving and the information they're receiving. I, I just can't reiterate that enough that, that uh, the data is very extensive and it's real. It's real data. So, you know, we're not making stuff up. So um, feeding right back into the community 
you know, real, real solutions that, that could be implemented in your community. And Glenn, any closing thoughts? Well, I guess uh, as the primary geek here, um, I have wonderful Chris and Nancy to translate the things I say into normal English. I count on them to guide you through. Wonderful. Well, thank you for um, for coming in. I mean, this is something we've been working on for six months, so it's really exciting to talk about it publicly and uh, look forward to, to sharing it. And, um, you know, um, in case people are curious, um, you know, we do see this as something that's a, a newer product that can add uh, to the market. We do plan to continue offering the same coverage that we do looking at all municipal network issues. Um, we're offering this product now, although it's something that I primarily work on. Um, Lisa, who continues to edit muninetworks.org, will not let um, you know any of our kind of <laughs> um, motivations in terms of trying to um, work with clients on this get in the way of our coverage. So, But if you have any questions, feel free to let us know. I'm incredibly excited about this because I think this is a very valuable tool um, for communities just when you're getting started to get information that's really essential quickly into your hands so that you can make really more targeted decisions moving forward and, and, and make this happen a little bit more rapidly because I'm always concerned that um, you know, if it takes too long to get basic information, people might lose a little bit of interest or lose hope that they can actually take action. And so let's hope that, that this Community Network Quick Start helps things move along a little bit more quickly and helps communities make uh, smart decisions. That was Nancy DeGidio and Glenn Fishbein talking with Christopher about Community Network's Quick Start. The new service that launched in 2018 to help local communities get a head start as they investigate possibilities for publicly owned infrastructure. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on our original research from all our initiatives. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org, and while you're there, take a moment to donate. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song, Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to episode 339 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. <laughs>